I'm John Zipperer, the host of the Commonwealth Club's Week-to-Week Politics Program. You can find out more about Week-to-Week and all of the Commonwealth Club's many programs, including videos and audio, at commonwealthclub.org. Now let's join this week's program. Well, thanks for joining us here in San Francisco today. Um, I'm John Zipperer, your week-to-week host and the Commonwealth Club's Vice President of Media and Editorial. On today's program, naturally, we're going to be talking about both conventions, uh, as well as vice presidential picks, some California politics, and other political news. So, as always, I like to point out that Commonwealth Club has people of a wide variety of views. They're all welcome here. So any opinions you hear expressed up here are those just of the speakers and not of the club itself. So let's meet our panelists for today. Uh, on the end there, excuse me, is Carla Marinucci. She puts together the Political California Playbook. And she's also on Twitter at C. Marinucci. And between us is Bill Whalen, a research fellow at Hoover Institution. He's on Twitter at Hoover Whalen. And a little bit later, we'll be joined by Matt Shoup, who will give us the GOP insider look at the convention last week. So. Uh, There are question cards spread throughout the room. I think you all know how that works. Write out some questions and we'll have people pick them up and deliver them to me and I will try to answer, or actually have them answer, uh, as many questions as possible. So let's get started. Let's get started in Cleveland. Um, Last week the Republicans gathered in Ohio and nominated Donald Trump. Hope I didn't spoil that for anyone who (laughs) hadn't seen it. Um, So, Bill? Let's start with you. Um, What did you make of the convention? Let's go broad to to begin with. Did it do what it needed to do for the party and for the nominee? Uh, The nominee, yes, and the party, no. Um, How's that for a political answer? (laughs) Um, It was the sloppiest political convention uh, I have seen. I've been following conventions for the better part of 30 years now. God, I'm old. And um, it was the sloppiest one I've seen in terms of just the management, the control of the speeches. The fact that they blew past the 11 o'clock cutoff time for the East Coast each night, you would think Donald Trump, a guy who knows about time slots on TV, would understand this, but they didn't. It just kind of rambled on. The speakers were odd. They brought out just kind of random person after random person. Uh, If you remember, for example, before Ivanka Trump spoke, um, a buddy of Trump's came out and kind of gave this rambling talk, kind of like the sort of like the drunk guy at the wedding gets up and gives a toast, and you don't know where the hell he's going with the toast, but... Ten minutes later, he's going to get there. Um, so it was odd in terms of that. It was very confusing for the party to digest it, uh, witnessed by the fact that a lot of prominent Republicans did not show. You've had Bush males on uh, in Republican and president election, elections going back to 1980, seven of the last ten elections, not a Bush to be seen there. Uh, no John McCain, no Mitt Romney, 20 Republican senators missing, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. The party struggled with it, but Donald Trump got what he wanted out of it, which was a modest bump, and I emphasize the word modest. A word of caution here about polls. You're going to see a lot of them flying at you in the next week or so. You're going to see national polls, you're going to see battleground polls, you're going to see overnight polls, you're going to see rolling samples, you're going to see three-day samples. Um, Right now, Trump gets anywhere from a three to six point boost in the polls. And that's good for him. The average uh, in modern times is about four and a half percent. So good for him. I will wager with you that a week from now, Hillary Clinton will be seeing the same poll. Don't get caught up in what is going on right now. Wait 30 days after the convention to see. If you go back and look at all elections going back to about 1968, that's the pattern. It's 30 days after the convention is where the two candidates sit. So 
If you're a Democrat and you're following this and you're thinking, holy smokes, Donald Trump has caught up with her and in some polls he's now passed her, don't panic, just wait and see. If 30 days from now he's ahead of her, then it's time to get very concerned. But right now, just don't fall in love with the poll. So, yeah, for all the confusion, all the craziness in Cleveland, all the glitches, and as we've seen, glitches are not necessarily a Republican thing. Now the Democrats are going through their drama. Um, on balance, he actually succeeded by getting his balance. Okay. Uh, and, and when you look at the, uh, the instantaneous poll, CNN, 75% of the people answering that CNN snap poll thought it was a good convention for yep. Donald Trump, and more than a majority of them said they were now seriously considering voting for him. Uh, you know, that, that's an instantaneous poll, but I, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what you said with regard to the, uh, the, this convention for the Republicans just underscored uh, Trump's lack of experience in, in the political world, from the, from the planning, from the scheduling, everything about it. That guy that went on with these personal speeches you mentioned before, Ivanka, that was Tom Baraka, uh, a, a San Francisco area yeah. uh, billionaire. Uh, before him was Peter Thiel, an icon in Silicon Valley. Uh, I, I mean, the, but the fact is there were five billionaires that spoke for the whole week. <laughs> and whatever else you want to say about the optics, uh, the Democratic Convention, for all its confusion today, had more African-American faces in the first half hour than the Republicans had the entire week. I mean, it, se it seemed to me that Donald Trump was speaking to, he was preaching to the choir. He was preaching to the folks inside that hall, to those disaffected, mostly white voters, the same people that really drove Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, into the governor's seat here in California. Uh, there were a lot of, there's a lot of differences there, but the fact is, I think you're going to see the Democrats, just from the, uh, uh, the um, ethnic variety you see in the hall in the Democrats' uh, convention, uh, the Democrats are speaking to a emerging electorate, the, the Latinos, the millennials, right. women, Bill, and that is what they're hoping is going to be the difference. Right. right. And Bill, you were talking before we came in here about that bump that, that Trump got was with a... It's pretty... Trump pumps, Trump's bump, the Trump bump, uh, was, uh, <laughs> bump, was um, pretty exclusive in that it was with white males, white males with high school educations. His numbers among them have mushroomed from about plus 18 to about plus 35. Uh, what he said resonated. Um, so this begs the question of when Hillary gets up on the stage and what Hillary is trying to accomplish this week. On the one hand, you can argue that she too is trying to reach white males, witness the fact that she went with Tim Kaine as her running mate, whereas she could have gone any of several other directions in terms of minority appeal, gender appeal. Uh, but that's not going to win her the election. I think what you have to look for is one group in particular, and that is Latinos. Uh, the same week that good polling news came out for Trump in terms of bump, uh, there was a, actually a rather hideous poll, which no one's talking about, a national group uh, surveyed Hispanics. Trump is polling at 12% among Hispanics in this poll. Mitt Romney got 27%. The Hispanic vote will grow in this election. It was at about 10% in 2012. It's going to be about 12%. If you just do the number on that in terms of the share he loses, the number that goes up, that's ground he cannot make up with the white vote, plain and simple. So see if that's her goal. Now, about the Democratic yeah. Convention, I think what's interesting to watch is this. Uh, Bill Clinton in 1992 had his coming out party in New York City and as a remarkable convention by Democratic standards why the trains ran on time. This was the party that in 1968 <laughs> had the mayhem in the streets, the party that in 1972 had a convention in Miami Beach where George McGovern gave his accepted speech at three in the morning, the famous primetime in Guam speech as they called it. <laughs> um, 
they're just notorious for having fractious campaigns. And the Clinton campaign said, by God, this is not going to happen because part of being a different kind of Democrat is being punctual. And it worked. And it was a clever uh, convention. He gave a great speech. He had the impromptu walk-in from uh, Macy's over to Madison Square Garden. They had a lot of nostalgia by showing clips of the Kennedys. They did the great film yeah. Man from Hope. It was a great show. And I would predict that the Hillary show is going to pre be pretty good. Why? Well, look at, look at the speakers. The Republicans put out a lot of chopped beef, and the, and the Democrats are putting out steak. Uh, <laughs> we don't know what Bernie Sanders is going to do. I, that's a great question. That's what he's going to say tonight. But after you get past Bernie, you're looking at Bill Clinton. You're looking at Michelle Obama. You're looking at President, uh, President Obama. You're looking at Vice President Biden. You're looking at some really kick speakers, in my opinion. But then it gets to her, and this is the $64,000 question in this convention. For all of the glitches in the Republican convention, Trump gave a speech which was for his supporters on message. So let's see if her speech ends up being on message for those people she needs to reach. But, but let's Donald. talk about that Trump speech because I think uh, this is one where we've never seen anything like this. This was right. no morning in America. This was, this was no well, a shining city on a hill. Morning, morning in America uh, was a re-election speech. Though. Yeah, you can't, you yeah. Can't use no, I agree, speech. but the fact is, uh, I, was, I was watching with a group of millennials, and at the end of it, one of them said, I, I feel like I'm going to commit suicide. No, I, no. Mean, I mean, it was like no. so dark. But, but, well, uh, it's so, I mean, by, by the way, 10 different publications it, put the word dark in their headline the next yeah, day. So yeah. this, this is why Republicans think there's a media conspiracy. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but no, honestly, New York Times, Washington Post, Politico, dark speech, dark speech, dark yeah. speech. But it was, but, Bill. Is it possible but, it was a dark it was, speech? It was I mean, a dark it speech. Was, but, here, but this is his wager. He's giving a dark speech. Why? Gallup does a question as a, as a rolling poll each week, and they ask a question. Are you satisfied with the way things are going in the country? Last week, 17%, down 12 points in the last month alone, 17%. He's not going to get up there and tap dance and talk about sunshine and light when 17%. This is his ticket to getting elected, that he's going to convince people this country is on a deathly wrong track. But I think from a media point of view, look, there were a couple of, of lines that we all repeated. This was no media conspiracy. Uh, but uh, I am your voice. I'm the law and order candidate. Yeah. Uh, I am the only one that can solve it. Right, but here's the um, question. And speaking of refugees, we don't want these people. Yeah, but here's the question, uh, Carla. What you guys object to in your coverage, what you don't like, you might actually be working with his voters. That's, he got a bump. And, and, no, you're yeah. absolutely right. But I go back to the voters, and this is going to be the question in this election. Are the disaffected, mostly white male voters going to outweigh the Latinos, African Americans, and women who made up the Obama coalition. Yeah. And that's, I, that's the big question. Yeah, let me be clear. I don't support Donald Trump. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to vote for him or not. I'm not going to vote for her, but I don't know if I'm going to vote for him. I have a conference I'm attending in Mexico in the middle of October, and honest to God, I'm going to go to the beach on the day I have off, and I go sit there with a bottle of beer and decide what to do, who to vote for, or to walk out in the ocean, or well, not to bother coming up, what, whatever. But while you're there, just don't tell them you're considering voting for Donald Trump because exactly. you may not make exactly, <laughs> exactly. But but the point the point is this: uh, it is very easy to mock Donald Trump. God knows there has not been a more target-rich environment in modern times. Uh, but something that he's doing is working. He got his party's nomination, and he's ahead of her right now. So it's interesting. This convention is in Philadelphia. Um, the Democrats were last in Philadelphia in 1948. So were the Republicans actually that year. 1948, the Republicans put up Tom Dewey. And this is the famous, <laughs> famous election of Dewey Truman. And there's an uncomfortable parallel between, du between uh, Hillary and Tom Dewey in this regard. 1948 was at all time Tom Dewey's election to lose. 
People did not think he was going to lose this election. People did not take Harry Truman seriously. Tom Dewey played it very safe. He put a very safe pick on his ticket. Earl Warren, the governor of California, the famous Hands Across America election. And they, as George Bush would say, they misunderestimated Harry Truman. And he walked away with it. So just a word of caution, while it is very easy to mock Trump, it's very easy to wonder, my God, what has happened to our political system? He's tapped into something out I, there. I also think one of the aspects of the Republican convention um, is, was the media coverage. And I, I still think, and I've thought all along, that we in the media have fallen down with regard to coverage of Donald Trump on the issues. Um, where are his taxes? Why isn't anyone asking him? I, I watched him on Meet the Press this last week, uh, and Chuck Todd let him just get away with, uh, I'm under, I'm, I'm, uh, there's an audit, and when the audit's done, the question is, are you leaving open the possibility that you won't release your taxes before the election? Because that's where he's going. He told Chuck Todd, but you know, when Mitt Romney released his taxes, that was the end of his campaign. Right. And he then he, that? yes, he, and then he said, uh, you know, but I'll, if, when the audit's done, he still hasn't been pinned down on that very critical issue. And the other issue I think the media has, has really sort of glossed over is this whole issue of NATO. Uh, the idea the idea that we wouldn't stand for our NATO allies, I was telling Bill that uh, I was at Hoover Institution uh, two weeks ago and sat down with General James Mattis, who was in charge of CENTCOM, who was a former commander of NATO, and Admiral Jim Ellis, who was in charge of the nuclear payload. Both of these men, who've just come out with a new book, by the way, with George Shultz, were horrified. There's no other way to put it with regard to how Donald Trump has talked about our NATO allies. General Mattis said, already our allies are hearing from Russia, are hearing from China, who are, who are whispering to them saying, can you really trust these guys? You know, look, look at how he's talking. Uh, Admiral Ellis said that the statements with regard to nukes in Japan and South Korea are, have already undone decades of nuclear disarmament. Um, talk that Je people like George Schultz have worked toward uh, for decades. Uh, George Schultz talking to him, former Secretary of State, uh, with regard to Trump's statements on NATO, um, on, uh, on NAFTA, has said, said to me, look, we have, we're very lucky in this country to have two neighbors on each side that are friendly to us. Uh, why are we going to anger one of them uh, by talking about building a wall and by talking about undoing a trade agreement that has been to the benefit of both sides. So there's a lot of concern about real issues and we in the media keep going back to what is, what is uh, Melania Trump's speech about and uh, you know how Ivanka looked when she came up. Uh, this, this stuff, it doesn't matter in the long run and I think this is on us. Uh, to ask those questions, and they're not being asked. Everyone who blames Carla, applaud. <laughs> we love Carla, but I mean, she's, she's admitting it. She's welcoming it. Well, listen, let's actually bring in a GOP insider to join us. Matt Shoup is a GOP consultant. He was at the Republican convention. He's going to tell us all the secrets of Donald Trump. How are you doing, Matt? Good, thanks for having me. Actually, really quick, uh, in the green room beforehand, John told me that every Republican in San Francisco is in this room, and I could speak <laughs> candidly and off the cuff. So I don't have any prepared remarks or anything. Um, so actually, some, some really quick relevant background about me. I was actually the only paid John Kasich operative in California prior to him dropping out. That's right. Uh, 
<laughs> so understand my, I'm also the executive director of the California Young Republicans and I do barrier consulting. Uh, so that, that's my kind of perspective on this. Um, I was at the convention actually as a professional volunteer at the RNC. I did the digital advertising for the convention. And I actually, not only do I have an insider look, I actually got to see all the Facebook metrics that were happening live as they happened. And I could tell you our top performing audience was women 35 to 44. Um, one thing that I actually didn't realize one day in was we were live streaming every speech at the convention, whereas the networks were only playing maybe 10 to 25% of the speeches. And what's interesting is, I hope Carla returns my emails after today. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there was actually a tremendous amount of diversity at the convention. A lot of our speakers were uh, minorities one way or another. Um, we had one day that uh, was opened by a prayer from a San Francisco Sikh immigrant uh, who was actually the vice chair of the California, well, not anymore, but was the uh, vice chair of the California Republican Party. One day was closed by a Muslim prayer. Um, and a lot of the speakers were, were mostly women. We we're African-Americans and Asians and Latinos. There was actually a speech done in Spanish. Um, and in the crowd, there was a tremendous amount of minorities um, of all, you know, Matt, all I think I read that there were 11 uh, African-American delegates in the whole hall. That's not even close to true. Are you no. sure? There were, I, actually, a fun fact, there was, for every one delegate, there were six media there. That I read, and that was true. They actually closed down an entire parking structure and turned it into a media center. Okay, but, so, but you... But you uh, there was probably that many in the I've California delegation. I've known you for a long delegation. time. So yeah, yeah, I've worked. Yeah. I've met, but you can't. You can't argue that the dem, that the diversity that you're seeing at the Democratic convention. No, no, I'm not anyone. saying that it's parallel. Okay, I'm, I'm saying I think that it's been understated. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think some of the things that were not. You know, the difference is, is that I'm still trying to digest on how the convention was portrayed to everybody outside of me being there. Uh, so one of the few takeaways I had is I. You know, Ted Cruz was booed off of stage in a very thunderous boo. I was in the I was in the auditorium when it happened, and it wasn't just a few people started booing and it became a thing. It was a thunderous boo, and he was booed several times. And during that, several times, people started chanting Trump. Um, and there's been a lot of coverage about how Cruz in his final statement said, you know, vote your conscience. And I've been saying all over Facebook, wow, you know, if you think you have to, you know, if you're worried about voting your conscience for your candidate, you might want to look at it. But what's not been reported, though, is there was a massive whip operation prior to the convention to all the Never Trump, or from the Never Trump campaign to the delegates, which slogan was vote your conscience. And it's kind of like if you were to say, you know, oh, I'm not against hope, I'm, I'm against hope and change. You know, it's not that I'm against hope and change, I'm, it, but that's that's Obama's mm -hmm. slogan. So that's, it's a different meaning. And that, I think, has not been portrayed accurately. Um, you know, and in contrast is also if, if my takeaway from the convention was Ted Cruz was booed off the stage. And Peter Thiel, when he said that he's proud to be gay and proud to be Republican, was greeted by thunderous a standing ovation and applause when uh, Donald Trump said he'd defend LGBTQ rights, was greeted by thunderous applause. There were no boos. There were no abstentions. There were no anything to the contrary of that. It was standing ovation, thunderous applause. And <laughs> Let me just add something but. to that. Not to be contrary, but okay. uh, I, I will note, Peter Thiel's speech to the Republican Convention came 44 years after the first Democrat, the Democrats heard a speech from gays and lesbians saying they're proud to be gay and lesbian. 44 years. I, so, and, well, and, and also in, in contrast to these two, this was my first RNC convention. They've been following it for a long time. So this is my first impression. And so, I mean, my, my takeaway from it was there was a lot of people that had worked on other campaigns or had not necessarily embraced Trump that were walking away from this much more uh, feeling supportive of him and wanting to get behind him. Um, 
you know, I, I talked to a lot of other people who'd worked on various campaigns, and I think in hindsight, you look back and you go, wow, no one else even stood a chance against Trump 12, you know, 12 months ago or eight months ago. And, you know, they, he really is, you know, I, I've, I've listened to a lot of other consultants talk about all the negative aspects of his campaign and what he's doing wrong. And I was one of those people for eight months. So I know exactly, you know, I was one of the last people, if you actually go by time zone, that actually was working against him. But you look back and go, whatever he's doing, it won. And in politics and campaigns, there is a winner and that's it. And there's a whole bunch of losers. So it doesn't matter what you did to get there as long as you won. And I'm a consultant, I'm paid to win. And I failed if I didn't. So you can criticize his tweets, you can criticize whatever he's doing, but if it gets him elected or if, if he wins a primary, that's that's the end goal of it. I, so. I think, you know, I think, I think that your point is well taken. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious of your points in being in the hall. I, I think one of the positives that came out for Donald Trump was his whole family. Mm -hmm. um, the media loved them. They were great speakers. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Ivanka Trump, who was a great speaker, no question about it, uh, gave essentially what I thought was a democratic uh, speech. They're talking about equal pay for women and uh, things that we haven't heard um, a lot from the Republican well, Party. I, for, well, and, really quick, I think now they're talking about uh, Donald Trump Jr. running for mayor of New York. Yes, he's, he's actually thrown that out there yeah. already. Um, you know, the, the thing is, my takeaway from that was, I don't think the Republicans are opposed to those ideas. I think we want them. I mean, how you get there is could be different, but those are not, I mean, Republicans are not opposed to equal pay for, for women or any of those things. So I don't think that, that was a hard thing to celebrate. I think that a lot of times you're, you know, it, the messenger makes a big difference to have a difference between a Republican and a Democrat, but you know, I didn't really see anybody there that was angry or didn't agree with any of that. Was there any difference kind of day to day because we get the sense, you know, one day, wherever the media sometimes will, will be showing us, you know, day one, we're thinking total collapse. Are you serious? You quoted from Michelle Obama. The next, you know, I mean, it, the next day might be different. Then he was booed off the stage. That ends strong. I mean, so you kind of get a bit of a roller coaster view of it sometimes. From inside the beast itself, was it pretty steady or did, were there kind of cringeworthy moments where you're like, Let's hope that goes back. I, I mean, I, I do think that it was pretty steady and very optimistic the whole time. Uh, the Melania, I, I, can, I can't Melania. pronounce it. Melania. Melania. You know, the one thing is I, I was actually kind of amazed as a lot of people on, on the internet took to calling her stupid or whatever. She speaks five languages. I speak one. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can only judge someone so much for <laughs> writing about, you know, having to have a speech writer when, you know, we speak that many languages. Um, so it's incredibly unfortunate that happened. And there's been theories that that was intentional or not to dominate press coverage and you never know. <laughs> But, um, you know, there, the thing is, is that it was actually very calm and very, there's a lot of, I go to all the state party conventions every year for a long time, and I, I never see the type of energy at those conventions that I see, I saw at this one. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, the, the thing is, is that a lot of times, I mean, you're in your own little bubble. We were like five layers deep of Secret Service, you know, so mm -hmm. I never even saw a protester when I was there. And actually, if you, if you read what happened, the protesters there were, there wasn't that many, and they were very polite, especially compared to Bay Area standards. I was uh, talking to a, a, another Bay Area uh, journalist that was there, and he was saying one of the protesters bumped into him and then apologized, yeah. you know, which yeah. you don't see in Oakland. No, um, and, and, you're, but, and, you're, and you're absolutely right. Yeah. The number of protesters is far greater uh, at the Democratic Convention, which is very uh, interesting. Is very yeah, interesting. Right. So, and, and this is one of the Democrats' challenges this week. Yeah. Well, last question for you then, Matt. While you were there, did you meet Donald Trump? Um, I was in the same room as him. I never met him. But you know, actually, the, the first the first thing I posted when I got there was I was, a, and again, this is someone who's 
this was my first convention. I was just amazed by how many celebrities were just roaming around. A lot of the comedians and stuff I just saw multiple times. I I was standing in line to get through security, and Charles Krautheimer was behind me, and you know Steve Ducey from Fox News walked past me. They were just that was interesting for me. Um, but no, I think they they were very selective on when he appeared. He wasn't just walking around. So it's funny you say that. The one time I ever was at a Republic, any convention, was uh, the 88 Republican convention in New Orleans, and uh, they had us all packed in some room. I don't know if it was a vice presidential announcement or what, but in comes George Herbert Walker Bush and Donald Trump. So standing right there. Little did we know. Well, thank you very much, Matt. Thank you. So let's move on to Philadelphia. Um, get a bit more into that. Um, what did you make of the the floor fighting that's been going on today? The booing. It uh, just Carla? astounding to watch. Uh, you know Nancy Pelosi getting booed. Barbara Lee getting booed uh, today. Just the mention of Hillary Clinton. Uh, I, I think uh, Bernie Sanders folks and the, and the California delegation has been very very vocal, which is a little bit interesting considering. Uh, Bernie Sanders lost by double digits here in California. It was not, uh, he, he didn't win here, but the fact is a lot of those folks are there at the convention. I think, look, this timing of this WikiLeaks um, uh, release has been just disastrous, I think, for the Democrats. Uh, it, it confirmed every, uh, every thing that all of the Bernie folks have thought all along, that uh, the, st- the scales were tipped in her favor. So, that, so in case you didn't yeah. see this, uh, Sunday night? Sunday? Sun, on Sunday, right. On Sunday, yeah. WikiLeaks um, put out a data dump of emails coming out of the Democratic National Committee, talking to reporters, talking to people around Washington, campaign operatives, and so forth. And some of the emails um, have some very derogatory comments about Bernie Sanders, written by DNC officials. The Democratic National Committee ostensibly is neutral in elections. It's like the referee. It's the governing body. It hosts the debates. It's not supposed to play favorites. You have people working at the DNC who clearly did not like Bernie Sanders, and they were suggesting, well, gee, you know, is he really Jewish? We should look into that. He's really an atheist. That won't play in the South. And what this did for Bernie people, keep in mind, in Cleveland, uh, those Republicans who oppose Trump are upset that, A, they lost, but B, they think Trump is a tragically bad choice, but they don't question the system. Trump got the most delegates. He won. The Sanders people have a different take. They didn't get the most delegates, they didn't get the most votes, and they feel they never had a chance because the field was tilted against them. This makes them feel this way. This is like seeing a bubble thought actually turn into an express thought. So they're right now in the middle of a rant, which is that the system is against us. And this is the question, how long does this carry out? Nancy Pelosi got heckled today in the California delegation meeting. Uh, You may have seen Deborah uh, Wasserman Schultz uh, went to a meeting in the Florida delegation. She got heckled. Uh, people, Deborah Wasserman Schultz, Debbie Schultz was Schultz, the, yeah. uh, head, of the head of the DNC. Anybody wants, to be the head, anybody wants to be the head of the DNC, they're looking. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bernie Sanders got booed. Bernie uh, Sanders when he, got booed. When he mentioned, so uh, these are people Hillary. upset. Uh, they're upset about their Democratic leadership. And here's the question moving forward. Bernie speaks tonight. Then tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you go into what's a well-oiled convention, I suspect. Will they continue to boo? Will they, let's say, try to force a roll call vote on Tim Kaine? Will they try to drag out the frustration or will they get over it? What will Bernie do up on the podium? Will he tell them, will will this be the equivalent of a sister soldier moment where he says, got to get over this, we got to move on? Or does he feed into it? In other words, can the party 
save itself from its own destructive habits. Uh, well, it's, been, it's been noted, however, that in 1992, the Democrats came into a convention uh, with a guy named Jerry Brown causing I've all kinds of, right. of uh, problems, uh, super raucous, very uh, also contentious. And Bill Clinton came out of that with the, one of the largest bumps uh, in modern history. Yeah. So it may, be, it may be still, and it's interesting, Jerry Brown speaking at the convention. Uh, a lot of Californians speaking at the convention. But you're absolutely right. What we hear from Bernie Sanders tonight is going to go, I think, go, go a long way. He's already personally uh, texted these delegates and said, you know, out of respect for me, please, you know, lay low. Uh, he, his, his, his spokeswoman has also put out tweets saying, the election wasn't rigged, we just lost. Right. Uh, there's all kinds of efforts to get that message out there. And, and we've seen, yeah. you know, we've seen this at Democratic conventions before. These are, this is a much larger convention than the Republican convention. It is much more diverse. You've got a lot of very impassioned people. And we're going to see if they're able to uh, move forward or right. not. But some of the scenes we saw today with some of these delegates yelling, chanting, lock her up, right. uh, you know, right. that's, so, that's so astounding. It really behooves Bernie to try to, to try to strike peace because... No other speaker in the convention, it's really their role to do this. And the question is, what does Hillary say on Thursday? Does she reach out to them as well? If I were a nefarious operative right now, and I had a couple million dollars to throw into this election, and I wanted to defeat her, I wouldn't put it into Donald Trump. You know who I'd send it to? Dr. Jill Stein. I would, I would spend money around the country trying to boost the Green Party numbers in a handful of states. Because if you look at Bernie Sanders, you look at the agenda, it's a Green Party agenda, which is what? It's guaranteed jobs. It's guaranteed health care. It's... Uh, yeah, it's Bernie. It's Bernie 101. Yeah. And, and I think for Democrats especially, uh, there's a couple of warning signs this week. You know, right. Nate Silver put out today that in 11 battleground states, if the election were held today, uh, Trump would win the election. Yeah. You know? And again, that's my caveat, though, if the election were, were held, held today. today. Yeah, so that's absolutely correct. Bear with us. Come back um, in 30 days and see yeah, where we are. It's not taking place today. So. Calm down. Um, actually, there are several questions here, all on the same thing, jumping off kind of the DNC email dump. Uh, lots of talk about this having been done by, you know, the hacking of the DNC uh, servers having been done by the Soviet, Soviet. The Russians, yeah. <laughs> talk about being out of time. The Russian Secret Service. Um, so a lot of questions of, no, do you I, think they're, the, that Putin but by all accounts, and, and uh, David Sanger wrote about this in the New York Times, and I think uh, months ago the DNC was given warning that there was some kind of breach, and the digital fingerprints uh, are, are point to the Russians. Um, I, I watched Wright's previous this morning uh, being grilled by Andrea Mitchell. She was asking him, look, uh, how come you guys haven't been hacked? And his answer was, well, we have two sign-ins on our email, so our, we're very much more secure. But I, don't, uh, I think there's some interesting questions there. And the FBI is now trying to get to the bottom of it. Right. However, you know, Paul Manafort has, uh, on, on crime statistics, has basically said the FBI is uh, uh, not credible. What, what, uh, so one thing, I don't know whether this, they'll agree anything there. One thing this points out is the gross stupidity of a lot of people who work in politics. Uh, <laughs> yes, that Bob, I agree. Bob Dole, when he ran for president in 1996, was asked by a reporter, what's your standard for taking money? And he said, I have one standard. It's the Washington Post standard. The reporter said, what the hell is the Washington Post standard? Bob Dole said, it's very simple. I will take money from anybody as long as I'm not worried about that person's name being in the Washington Post the next day. And when you think about this, 
your email correspondence should be the same thing. I have no problem sending and writing an email if I have no problem with that being in the Washington Post the next day. And yet you have these operatives inside the DNC writing stuff, which just, you know, probably thinking, okay, I'll delete this after <laughs> it's done so it's gone, not a problem. Yeah. But no, so it just, once again, it just kind of, you know, makes you shake your head at the, at the intelligence yeah. of some yeah. people. Uh, someone writes, on this first day of the Democratic Convention, we continue to talk about Trump. Why is this? He is a black hole sucking up all of the, uh, the public media's attention. Please consider the repercussions of this very lapsided coverage. Carla. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I think I, 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 I agree in some okay, respects. We, we that, don't that, we need to make that, you growl. We, you know, we know you feel bad yeah. about this. Right? <laughs> um, well, let's talk about uh, what Hillary Clinton, what you think she will do on her big speech Thursday night and what she, if it's the same as what you think she should do. Um, who should she be talking to? You know, we talked about kind of these different uh, divisions within voters. Um, anything? Thoughts? You know, I think going into the convention and during the convention, we've seen her give speeches, uh, and she gave one today to the veterans of foreign war that I thought was, again, very effective, uh, just basically dissecting Trump's uh, position on NATO, on military, on foreign policy. And um, I think these are, this is going to be very effective over the long run. But I also, I, I mean, she's not uh, screaming. She's not, she's just delivering a, uh, I, I, I think, a, a very rational uh, argument as to who has uh, the, the demeanor. And you've, if you've seen her ads, which I'm sure you have, they're running all over the place, uh, an ad about uh, the children are watching uh, some of his speech. And whether these are going to be effective, it's, it, this is a question. We media have been wrong on this guy from day one in terms of how he's going to right. play. Um, and that's why I think you're, you're watching some of these uh, pollsters and people like Nate Silver come around and say, we, you know, this, this is up in the air right now. It really is up in the air. And there's just, uh, I think, uh, so much of it has just gone beyond any kind of rules of traditional media. And uh, 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 we've, we've just been wrong. With Hillary Clinton, I think she, ha one thing she has failed to do so far is really talk about her record as Secretary of State and what she's done, because you've heard a lot of the Trump people say, what did she ever do? Uh, I, think, I think her outreach to women, that was a really good story in the New York Times over, the, over uh, Sunday about how she has worked towards women's rights around the world. You haven't heard a lot about that in places like Africa and China. Uh, I think she's going to push women uh, very hard uh, in that sense, because when you look at Trump and what he has to say to women, I think Hillary Clinton on, on issues of reproductive rights, uh, on, on, on other issues when you talk about equal pay and so forth, um, millennial women particularly are going to be important to her. And you're going to see a whole parade of candidates this week uh, that are going to talk to those women. And that's critical, I think. Okay. Bill, do you think foreign policy is something she should talk about? or? Yes. So here's how I would frame her speech. Um, when Hillary announced for the Senate in 2000, she gave a very gritty, tough-on-crime speech. She was trying to essentially mimic her husband in some ways, but also tie into New York City and the mood of New York in 2000. This is even before 9-11. But always been a tough on crime state, at least it was in the late 90s. Uh, when she announced for, when she left in uh, the campaign in 2008, she gave the famous crack ceiling speech in which she talked about reaching out to individual groups. She was very sort of positive liberal Democrat. When she announced the first time in 2000, she's had two announcements in 2015. The first one was the videotape, and she kind of repeated the same. 
And that kind of flatlined. It didn't really do anything, so they set up a rather elaborate event on Roosevelt Island in uh, Manhattan, and she tied herself into Franklin Roosevelt and the Four Freedoms, but also tied herself into her husband and Barack Obama. She made herself an extension of the Democratic Party. Now is the time for her to be her own person in this regard. First of all, number one, she has been climbing this pyramid for a long time. Uh, we've been talking about Hillary Clinton being the first woman president, well, since buy one, get one free, I guess. So it's a quarter of a century since we've been talking about this. So this is her moment to stand up in front of a national audience and do something which she has never been good at, and that's for God's sakes to be joyous and to actually exalt in the moment and show enthusiasm and dare I say show happiness, let down her guard and talk about how great this is mm -hmm. for her, for women, how excited she is about this. Tone down the voice. She doesn't have to yell inside the arena. Don't be Donald Trump on this. But number one, bask in the moment. It's a big historical moment. Whether Republicans want to admit to it or not, it's a big deal. Point number two. She has to straddle a very fine line, that 17% figure that I mentioned. Um, if you'd like to study data, I encourage you to go to a website called YouGov, Y-O-U-G-U-V, yougov.com, internet polling firm down in Palo Alto. They poll with The Economist on issues. They do a battleground tracker with uh, CBS News that covers 13 states. It's basically all you need to know about the election. You look at their issue sets right now. Top issues in this campaign are what? National security, the war on terror, jobs, and surprise, healthcare, four. I would talk about those four issues if I were her. I'd frame those four issues, which get off the track, by the way, which do not resonate. College, number one. College tuition does not do well with voters right now as a top concern. Also, LGBTQ is not really a top concern right now. She'll have to address various elements of her party with these various things, but I'll focus on national security, the economy, and I'd pick up healthcare as her three issues, so those. She has to make herself an extension of Barack Obama. Again, this is a juggling act. She has to be an extension of the president with making it very clear that she is not the president. The George H.W. Bush speech of 1988, I am that own man. Here she has to tread lightly. In 1988, George Bush famously said, I want a kinder and gentler nation. Nancy Reagan supposedly was watching the speech and she turned to a friend and said rather acidly, kinder and gentler than whom? <laughs> so she has to be very careful on that. And then finally, she just has to, I think she has to, not go too hard after Trump. Look, there will be several days worth of filleting mm. Donald Trump, and I would trust Joe Biden to do a very good job of that, and the president to do at it. This is her time to be optimistic, upbeat, hard to be when people are down on things, but actually talk about the glass being half full as she sees it, and again, being, being a more upbeat person. Here's her, here's her biggest challenge in a nutshell, though. Again, go back to that YouGov economist poll. They asked what qualifications for you concern you most about president. What do you look for in a president? Number one, trustworthiness. Yeah. This is her Achilles heel right now, trustworthiness. How can you as a politician stand up in front of a stage and say, I'm trustworthy? The closest that is Richard Nixon saying, I'm not a crook. This, <laughs> this doesn't work. So she yeah. can't really address the elephant in the room, but she has to go then to what counts next, which is experience. Without making herself seem old, but talk about experience and that she is ready for this job. She could do it on day one. So it's a doable task. You're not going to hear words from this from Republicans much, but I suspect she is going to give a very good speech. Why? She has been working on this thing for weeks, I suspect. Mm -hmm. Somebody been working on it for a quarter century. Mm -hmm. For a quarter of a century. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, and Bill is right. The, the, right. the issue of trust, I think, has got to be the biggest concern for the Democrats. The latest CNN poll shows 68%.
uh, have a, a, some kind of problem with yeah. her on the, on the trust issue. Uh, she's got to she's got to uh, improve right. that number. Uh, you know, Trump also's numbers are high, even among Republicans, uh, in terms of does he have the demeanor? Does he have the uh, um, does he have the ability to to handle the presidency? Yeah. And at uh, the end of the day, she doesn't have to swing for the fence in this regard. Forty-eight percent of the public has said it will not vote for Donald Trump. Forty-six percent of the public has said that it will not vote for Hillary Clinton. So it's not like she's looking at bringing in a mass number of people into this election. She has to go after a select few. So I think she has to be rather modest in her. And for all the for, for all the um, uh, you know what we're seeing at the uh, the upheaval we're seeing at the convention today. Uh, the latest Pew study today showed 90% of uh, Bernie Sanders voters uh, do plan to vote for Hillary Clinton. So. Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of stuff going on at the convention, but I think the, those activists in the hall may not represent uh, average yeah. folks out there. Now, what I'm curious about this hour, uh, I'm sorry to butt in, is uh, what internally what their what their worldview of the campaign is in this regard. She had four or five people on her short list for vice president, and she was looking at Elizabeth Warren, senator from Massachusetts, woman woman ticket. She was looking at Cory Booker, the senator from New Jersey, so she's looking at an African American running mate. She was looking at Sherrod Brown, the senator from Ohio, who's very much progressive, very popular with the Bernie crowd. Uh, she was looking at Julian Castro, the HUD secretary. Uh, she was looking at Tom Vilsack, the uh, agriculture secretary from Iowa. So she was going in these various directions, and then she started kind of eliminating them one by one. I can tell you from polls I've looked at, Elizabeth Warren polls far better, far more popular than any of those people, and far more negatively. So I suspect she looked at it and came to two conclusions. Number one, I don't want to be outshined or upstaged by Elizabeth Warren, because Elizabeth Warren's more of a rock star than Hillary in terms of mm -hmm. being on the trail every day. So there's always that kind of dynamic between yeah. uh, candidates on a ticket. But then secondly, I think they decided she's a little too controversial for us. Sherrod Brown, I don't know why they said no. Maybe they got freaked out at the thought that John Kasich would get to pick a senator from Ohio. Um, I think that was I think if your campaign is listening to Chuck Schumer, you're probably making a bad, bad move. Uh, Julian Castro has just not gotten good reviews out on the campaign trail. Uh, but, uh, but what this shows me in the cane pick is this. They didn't feel the need to pick a Latino. They probably feel, this gets back to the 12% poll, they probably feel that he's enough Trump, Latino voters enough. It's what the military calls bouncing rubble. You just, you bomb a target and at some point you're bombing rubble, so you're bouncing rubble. Uh, they probably feel they didn't need to move there. They probably feel the women's vote is moving in their direction. The African-American vote's never going to get better than it has. They're getting 95% and 10%. Higher than Barack Obama. H higher than Barack Obama. Higher. So they're not going to improve much on that, and she's already speaking the language. So I think they looked at it, and, they, and I think two things happened here. Number one, they saw in Kane somebody who's not controversial, somebody who's not going to be yet another dog whistle in this cycle of endless dog whistles in this campaign. And one other thing, I think it shows you her husband's influence at the end of the day, because Tim Kaine is what? He's a very pro-business guy who was once a centrist governor from Virginia. Mm -hmm. And man, if that's not out of the Bill Clinton playbook, yeah. I don't know and what And speaks is. absolutely fluent Spanish. I mean, yeah. he, I think that, that is um, critical uh, this year. And I think from his early, the first uh, events that he's done with her, it, show, it, it showed a real uh, synchronicity between these two. They seem to be very, very comfortable with each other. I think uh, um, 
maybe more than Pence and, uh, and Trump for sure. But, <laughs> but, this, this, but this also shows problems within the political system though. So a lot was made out of Donald Trump picking Mike Pence and my goodness, they have differences on foreign policy. Yeah. Pence was in favor of the Iraq invasion. They have differences on government spending. Pence is uh, very much in favor of entitlement spending. Trump doesn't want to go near it. They have differences on trade. Uh, Pence is a free, free trade mm -hmm. kind of guy. Well, you look at um, uh, Tim Kaine. Tim Kaine is a big bank guy. So again, this feeds into what we've been talking about, Bernie Sanders. In addition to the, in addition to the WikiLeak data dump, they see also That's right. a, a Bernie, a, right. a Bernie activist said the other day that, that Tim Kaine is essentially extending a very big middle finger toward us. So a lot of rage they're working through right now. Talking about positivity in, the, in her, her speech on Thursday, yeah. um, Tim Kaine is a positive guy too. So that, that's also something she's getting. He's known for being more of a sunny, positive, the so-called happy right. warrior than Mike Pence or Donald Absolutely, Trump or yeah. Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders. I mean, that uh, I'm sure they'll, 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 they're happy to have that out on the on the. Right. Uh, yeah. No, I think uh, I, I think Tim Kaine, you know, devout Catholic, um, fluent Spanish, uh, white guy, moderate. That hit all the uh, ma major uh, points for her. Okay. Um, Again, a number of, of questions that that I'm going to try to synthesize. Um, it kind of we, well, we mentioned Jill Stein, who's the nominee of the uh, the Green Party. Uh, there's also, of course, the Libertarian Party, which has two former Republicans leading it: Gary Johnson at the top of the ticket and the Weld Governor. Bill Weld on, right, on the. Right. Uh, Vice presidential ticket. And I, and I think so. Gary Johnson's interesting. I interviewed him uh, a couple of weeks ago here in San Francisco. Uh, of course, pro-legalization of marijuana, not only just pro-legalization of marijuana, he's a, he's a multi-millionaire who's made millions of dollars. He has a company called Cannabis Sativa oh. um, that, that sells. <laughs> I mean, and, and in fact, in the interview, I asked him, uh, so what is your favorite strain of marijuana? And he said, without hesitation, my own. Uh, I, I, it's, it's absolutely the best strain of marijuana in the world. The best marijuana high in the world, is the way he put it. Got uh, any with you, buddy? <laughs> so, um, uh, I mean, he's an interesting guy. As somebody who has scaled Mount Everest, he's a you know, multimillionaire. Uh, at the same time, he is uh, you know, libertarian. When you talk about social issues with him, uh, you know, college tuition, right. uh, you know, other, other issues. Uh, right. not, doesn't so, believe in government loans for college, doesn't so, uh, want so, any kind of... Uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, so keep an eye on this. Yeah. So what's going to happen is she's going to give her speech. I bet she gets a bounce. And we're kind of back to where we were yeah. before the conventions. And then guess what? Things mercifully stop for three weeks because the Olympics begin on Friday the 5th. And they and speaking of screwed point, up operations, yeah. the Rio Olympics. Uh, Cleveland may look a lot better in the rearview mirror after that. Um, <laughs> but you may be right. <laughs> so things freeze through through August 21st. Then we get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Here's the question, especially with regards to Gary Johnson. You look at polls right now. He's polling anywhere up to 10% nationwide, and. He wants to get 15 to get right. into the debates. This is debates. the thing. Yeah. If he can push his vote up to 15, which means this. This means if after the conventions there is what is called a dead cat bounce. Those of you who work in finance know what this is. A dead cat bounce is when a stock <laughs> is kind of, it's a dog and it's just kind of limping along and then suddenly it has a spike. 
but then it goes back down because ultimately it's a dead cat. It just can't keep its bounce up. So he thinks that these two candidates might have dead cat bounces in them and that what Trump has picked up, he may give back and what she picks up, she may get back. In other words, you have two people who may be stuck down around 42, 43. Historically, by the way, in three and four races in America, 43.5 is usually the sweet spot for the likes of Bill Clinton in 1992. Let's see if Gary Johnson can slowly chip away and push himself up to 15 because if he gets up to 15, Voila, he's on the stage with them at the debates. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it doesn't just matter, of course, where they are on national polls, of course, in the end, where in the country those, those votes come from. Um, I think we can assume California is probably safe for Hillary Clinton. Absolutely. Uh, Even though, as, as much as Trump has said several times, uh, it, it, there's no I way. He's always, going to be, yeah. always say that. It is possible you could have a lot of things can play out here. Um, but there is a possibility you could have a repeat of 2000 in this regard, in that it's very possible that she can win the popular vote. She is gonna kill him in California. The field poll that came out a couple weeks ago had him at about 28 to 30%. Romney and uh, McCain weighed in about 36%. That's about the Mendoza line for futility in California, but he's down around 30. I did some number crunching on this. If you take that number and figure that she does about the same in New York and the same in Illinois, that's a net plus for her of about 12 million votes. And each candidate's going to get in the low 60s and 60 millions in votes anyway, so she could very well win the popular vote. But if she gives away Florida, if if the 2016 race were the exact same as 2012, but she gave away Florida, which meant Romney won by less than a percent, if she gave away Ohio, which Romney won by I think less than three percent, and she gave away Pennsylvania, which Obama won by a wider percentage, but Trump polls really well in. Uh, it's kind of the central tr Trump frustration. Guess what? That puts Trump at 273. But remember, um, Republicans must have Ohio to win the White House. Right. And considering how Trump, uh, you want to talk about giving the middle finger to the very popular governor there, saying he's going to front a super PAC even. Right. Uh, I, I, a lot of people in Ohio thought that was a, a just a death witch right there. I think that's, an, that's one factor. The other one is when you talk about some of the states uh, Florida being one of them. This is where the emerging, the emerging electorate is going to come into play. Mm -hmm. Latinos in Colorado also. Uh, Nevada is another one where right. this keep it, has keep, the sleeping giant but awoken. Keep, and, yeah, but keep uh, in mind, it's just about him picking up just a select few. And those three do the job. If everything else goes the way it used to be, he wins those three. That's all he needs. So again, I can't emphasize this enough for people who just want to dismiss him and mock him and all that. This is actually a lot easier for him to win than people realize. Or for people, may I say, I've heard it from enough people who say, I'm just not going to vote in the presidential election. Uh, I've heard well, many, me. many people say that. <laughs> and I don't care where you are on the spectrum. I, I mean, this is not an election for class president in eighth grade. This is, a, this is an election where you've got to decide. You've just got to decide. Um, and uh, I, don't, I don't think anybody can sit this one out. Do you think there's any chance of Hillary taking Texas? No. no. I don't think so. I don't think uh, so. But I think Texas is another state that is trending, and when, when you look at 2020, yeah. you may see Texas going. Maybe, away. but look, it's, she wants to nail down 270 electoral votes. That's like people saying she might play in Utah. Uh, for her to really aggressively go after Texas would be, be kind of just... I think this time because, around, but I think yeah. this is where the Republican Party has got to be uh, very concerned when this, all this talk about the wall and Mexico uh, has, is just creating a situation where states like Texas, Nevada, Colorado, 
uh, when you're talking about a generation, we've seen this here in California, we've seen this story here. Uh, the Republican Party has set itself up for a sea change in the next couple of years where I think the Latino voters are coming of age and are going to be registering uh, either independent or Democrat, but I think the Republican Party has endangered that. You don't think he's going to pick up voters in the wall construction unions? I mean, <laughs> that's gonna be a lot of work. That's, I mean, that's what it's all about. It's all about whether those disaffected white voters in the Rust Belt will turn out in greater numbers sure. than uh, Latinos, women, African-Americans. And I think, I think you've seen the African-American vote turns out. Latinos historically have been the, the least turnout of the four African major... African-American uh, vote turns out when an African-American man is at the top of the ballot. The African-American vote did not turn out in Barack Obama's midterms. It turned out when he himself was on the ballot. And this, again, is what's going to be interesting to watch this week when he gets up there on Wednesday and says, vote for Hillary Clinton. Is the pixie dust transferable to her mm -hmm. or not? I, I think no. you're right about that, but I, I do think that you're seeing polls in some states where Trump is so low, he's registering 0% African-American vote. Um, that's, you're right. How will the turnout be? Okay. Roger Ailes is out at uh, Fox News. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought there would be applause for that. But... Uh, what do you think about this? I mean, just, I mean it's, it's this, well, I, I, I should give some, a bit I mean, of background. Of course, this was yeah. over uh, allegations of sexual harassment. First one uh, of their main anchors, and soon ex-anchors, made this accusation that she had been pressured right to have a sexual relationship with Roger Ailes. Then six more folks came forward. Now 25 women have come forward. We, haven't we seen this movie before? I mean, you know, uh, what has taken so long? Uh, and by the way, I think it took Megyn Kelly mm -hmm. saying not, nothing uh, and then, uh, you know, I mean, obviously weighing in on this. Uh, she, I think she, it's, she later told that's, that's, uh, investigators that that's right uh, to finally do him in. What's interesting is Donald Trump, uh, their friends, they have been friends for a long time. And uh, Donald Trump in his interview on Sunday said, uh, you know, there's there's gossip that he's going to start running my campaign. Right. He threw that out. I think that would be this, fascinating. This was a really juicy rumor going around on day three of the convention that Ailes was going to leave Fox News, join the Trump campaign. And you say, well, so what? I'd say so in 1968, which <laughs> the more, by the way, you look at this election, my God, just go back and read the 1968 election in terms of everything from sort of societal mood to events playing havoc on the, on the system to Americans not being happy about the choices of Nixon, Humphrey, and, and uh, George Wallace. There are a lot of uncanny parallels here. But in 1968, Roger Ailes made his foray into politics by running the media campaign for Richard Nixon and help get Nixon elected. So Roger Ailes, and he did the same thing for the elder George Bush and Ronald Reagan. He knows a thing or two about politics and media. The rumor was this, that he was going to work for Trump, get Trump elected, and in exchange, Trump was going to create a Trump news network. And this is where it gets juicier. Uh, there are a handful of talented people, of talented people, of, of top talent at Fox who have what are so-called man-out clauses in their, uh, in their contracts. These are people like Sean Hannity, uh, Bill O'Reilly, and others. Man out means that if Roger Ailes goes, they can walk themselves. And so you're kind of looking at, if you don't like Fox News, this is like the Death Star exploding, if you will. <laughs> it is. Ailes goes, and so does half the talent on the network with him. But that didn't happen. What Fox did very cleverly was they, they took Ailes out of his job, but they kept him on board as a consultant to keep people happy. But in the picture, bigger picture, this. 
Fox News dominates cable news right now. Like it or not, uh, it has found an effective model that the other ones constantly struggle. CNN, MSNBC try to, try to emulate in some way. Fox has challenges, though, going down the road. The main one is that the greatest proportion of its viewers are older. So it's trying to find a younger audience, it's trying to find younger talent, and within Fox itself, there's been a power struggle, and that's Rupert Murdoch, who's now 85 years old, just married Mick Jagger's ex-wife, gotta, gotta love these Hall, things, yeah. Jerry yeah. Hall. <laughs> um, um, he, uh, he is gonna come back and help run the network to help placate things. Um, his children do not like Roger Ailes, though, and that's really what did in Ailes more than anything else. So Fox is undergoing a, uh, an internal struggle. Mike Clemente, who is somebody you've never heard of, uh, but he is a very important uh, VP in the news division, he quit today as well. Uh, so they're just having a big internal shakeup oh. right now. Yeah. Okay, so don't, don't cry and, too much. And what, and what drives it in part? This is Donald Trump. I'm convinced at the end of the day that Roger Ailes played an elaborate game of chicken with Donald Trump, and he figured, this guy's bluffing. He does this every four years. He says he's going to run for president. He gets us all excited. He comes on TV. People, it's boob bait for Bubba, as they famously said uh, back in the 70s about welfare reform. People tune in all agog thinking he's going to announce, he's going to announce, and he doesn't announce. So we'll play along with him. He won't announce, but we'll get good ratings. And then he announced. So Wales' thinking was probably was, okay, he's in it, but once somebody else talks about building the wall, he'll declare victory and retreat. Nobody else talked about building the wall, he hung in. So Wales thinking probably was, well, he'll go to a couple debates, he'll get sick of this real quick, he won't like the questions, he'll quit. He didn't, he hung around. Okay, so what's the next line? Okay, he'll probably get kicked to the curb by the voters, it didn't happen. Those of you who've lived in Southern California, watched Southern California TV, you know what this is. This is the slow speed car chase. This is when the car goes down the highway at a very slow speed, and the cops get to the point where they've had it, and so they put out the rubble strips and the tires blow out. Donald Trump, if you think about this election, Donald Trump has been the car that has gone through Rumble strip after rumble strip after rumble strip, and the tires don't blow out. <laughs> anyway, that's a very long preamble for Fox News, but it's just, it's, Fox News is just yet another, another entity caught up in the vortex that yeah. is Donald Trump. <laughs> We're back very good. On that well, subject. thank you. Uh, thank you to our panel, Carla Marinucci, Bill Whalen. Thank you, Matt Shute, for joining us. Thanks to all of you for coming out with us. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the rest of the convention. We'll see you again. Thank you for joining us for this week-to-week -week presentation of a recent Commonwealth Club program. I'm John Zipperer, host of Week to Week, and I invite you to find us online at commonwealthclub.org and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.